4: Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and
3: you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zippybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zippymag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com and I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Kristen
0: McGuinness is the author of Live Through This, a novel. Kristen is the founder of Storyboxing, which provides content, coaching, and courses for people looking to write the good fight. In addition, she is a co-founder, vice president, and editor-at-large of Row House, a disruptive publishing imprint at the intersection of wellness and social justice, founded by best-selling author Rebecca Baruki. Kristen is also the best-selling author of 5150, The Magical Adventures of a Single Life, which was optioned by Original Films slash CBS Cable with Allison Brie attached to Star. She has over 20 years' experience in book development, writing, and editorial. Working with such authors as Dr. Phil McGraw, Dr. Stephen Covey, Chris Matthews, Leanne Logothetis, Joe Gorgia, Darren Prince, Rebecca Baruchi, and more. She began her career working in publicity for St. Martin's Press before joining the editorial departments of Simon & Schuster, Free Press, and Judith Regan at HarperCollins. Since then, Kristen has also worked in nonprofit fundraising as a, as a strategic grants and marketing director, helping to raise millions for local and international nonprofits. Kristen has appeared in The Today Show, in USA Today, and in Marie Claire, and has written for numerous publications, including Huffington Post, Scary Mommy, Psychology Today, Salon, and The Fix. Kristen has written and co written multiple film and TV projects and one weird play. Kristen received her bachelor's degree in government from Hamilton College and a master's degree in international affairs from the University of Paris. She lives in Ojai, California with her husband, two children, and their dog, Peter, and has now founded Rise Books. Her book was the very first book of the new imprint. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your novel, Live Through This, which, by the way, I thought was a memoir until I started reading and I was like, her name's not Jane. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> it's a novel.
1: <laughs> Thank God. And you we're like, wait, it's like, I don't remember reading about this.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, I know. Then I got to like the main event. I was like, no, no, no. I mean, I figured it out within like a page, but no. and I was like, oh, I don't know why I thought it was a memoir. <laughs> anyway, I just want to start by saying, you, I know we had coffee and we got to know each other and you told me about your book and blah, blah, blah. But you are a really good writer. I'm sure you know this, but you're really, really good. So, anyway, I was so delighted to read it <laughs> and be like, wow, she is a really awesome writer. So, just wanted to tell you that.
1: I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And we had, I should say we had a fantastic event actually at Zibby's last night. Yes, That's why I didn't said hotel room because we were at the bookshop uh, with Jen Pasteloff and it was amazing. We had such a fantastic time. So it's just, it's Zibby day. Oh my um, but, uh, <laughs> and then it was funny because the post-its, Lauren Schwartzfeld, who's our director of publicity at Rise, that she gave me were these ones my what if year? So <laughs> I didn't realize that until like I was going on with you, and she was like, "By the way, she like literally handed me these, and I've been using them in the book." And she was like, "That was from Zibby's first book launch." So anyway, it was oh my, it's all Zibby right now. <laughs> so it's very oh, funny. Thanks for thanks for living through that. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> so
0: tell listeners about your novel, and then I really want you to explain your whole sort of career trajectory and all the amazing things you do and everything. But first, the book.
1: Absolutely no, and thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, I really like, and I before we started, I sort of said I was like, I have kids, and then laughed. I was like, Oh yeah, that's why we're like, we're doing this. The moms don't have time to read, and I think, I think that's why I wrote this book. You know, was because I do have children, and like a lot of us living in America with children, and the epidemic of gun violence. Like, I just hit a place of like, what can I do? And so I was. It was 2016. Um, A lot of us, I feel like it's almost like hurricane season here where there's just like a rash of mass shootings and and you just feel like you can't even go outside. And it feels and it just for me personally felt like it kept getting closer to home. There were quite a few shootings that actually like I had personal connections to and about 6 months before actually my mother's partner his brother was shot and killed by a coworker he was a C- he was the ceo of a tech company in chicago and his uh, cto came into the office and killed him so gun violence was just feeling really present in my own personal life. But then culturally, obviously watching it just all around us. And, and yeah, I was laying on the couch with my one-year-old baby, who's now a eight and a half year old young girl, but she was a little babe at the time, trying to get her to go to sleep and scrolling, you know, on Facebook as we did back then. Now it's mm-hmm. like Instagram, but I was like scrolling on Facebook and the pulse shooting was happening. And I just asked myself, what can I do? And I knew I had one, I had one quality skill set, which was writing and I decided I'm going to write a book about it. So, you know, there is a, there is a mass shooting that it's at the center of the book. I say initially the shooting took place like on, in chapter eight and sort of both from a narrative perspective, but I think actually like it's helped from like a talking about it perspective, we moved it up to chapter two, which really allows it to not be a secret you know and the main character jane is a survivor of that shooting and it's a lot about navigating both the the emotions obviously of that and she loses a loved one in that shooting and it's a very horrific traumatic event not surprisingly but also after the fact she's not only navigating grief but then she's navigating like a new public platform which many, sur- not all survivors, certainly there are plenty that don't, don't end up with a public platform. But again, I wrote this in 2016. So it was prior to Parkland. And then I sort of watched it happen in live time with the kids in Parkland who now have all said like that was, there was like an additional trauma of also becoming sort of political celebrities in the aftermath when they were still in the grief and trauma of what they had survived. So it's a lot about that, but also about love and marriage and motherhood. And um, last night when we were at Zibby's, we talked a lot about friendship, which is actually a core piece of the book too, and especially female friendship, which I know like for a lot of us, that's what boys us, right? And that's what keeps us going even in the hardest times of our life. Oh, my gosh. Well, I am. I I couldn't watch it live last
0: night, but I'm going to go back and watch because I want to get to know Jen better. And I can't wait to hear what you had to say in the in the event. There was a moment in the book where, you know, right after the horrific shooting where Jane is like shell shocked with her mom getting in the car and decides to sort of speak to the waiting massive reporters and just said, like, guns do this. And her mom's like, wait, why did you say that? You know, I feel like it's this big turning point to your comment about the victims having to take on these other identities. And I feel like for her, that was like, that was a moment where her life, I mean, obviously her life had been shattered and went in a different direction moments before. But I feel like for her and perhaps for all the other survivors, there's that question of, do you come forward? And what do you say? And do you want to have to speak out? It's so obvious, right? But then your own personal life is shattered. So I don't know. I, I feel like that was such a pivotal moment for Jane, at least.
1: Yeah, and I really, you know, I mean, the thing about that moment is that she refuses to take off the clothes and yes. she doesn't, like, that's not a political statement. She's just traumatized. And the idea, I mean, I think for, I mean, I've not personally gone through this, so it is truly fiction. But I know that like anytime you've lost someone, right? I mean, I just know that just from losing loved ones, right? Like, it's almost like you don't want to change clothes because then that means like Mm -hmm. the thing happened, right? It's almost like that first like moment of moving on. It's like that first time you go to sleep and you wake up in the new reality. It's, and so she doesn't like, she's terrified to get out of the clothes and they're trying to get her out of the clothes because we've never seen that before, Mm -hmm. right? We actually Mm -hmm. don't see survivors post-shooting, and I spoke with a friend who is an emergency doctor about like what that triage looks like and what their um, what their protocols are. And so she kind of gets she's not supposed to and she sort of gets out of that urgent care where they're holding folks after the fact just to take statements. And when she comes out, she's she's drenched in dried blood. And, it, you know, and so the. I I sort of love that, um, didn't love, but I mean, I love depicting a scene that we don't usually get to see, which makes the violence truly, really visceral, not just for the reader who's reading it, but in the story itself, for the camera people who take her picture. And it's why she ends up going viral, much to her dismay. I mean, that's not not her intention at all. And it is sort of this quick decision that, yeah, her mother, who's both politically conservative, but also just, you know, conservative in behavior and is like, why would you do that? And Mm -hmm. James, like, I I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Like, I'm not even functioning. Um, And it ends up really snowballing into something much bigger than she anticipates. Yes. Involving the president, in fact, (laughs) (laughs) much later. (laughs) Could not snowball any higher. (laughs) Yeah. The cameo of the unnamed president. Yes. And, I, and I will say that came from, that did come from reality. In writing the book, I reached out to a couple of people who were survivors of shootings. Uh, one who was actually in a shooting, another whose husband who had died in the San Bernardino shooting, a man named Ryan, and I can't remember Ryan's name offhand right now, but um, Ryan's husband was uh, shot and killed in the San Bernardino shooting, which had taken place in 2016 and which was definitely one of the shootings that inspired me to write the book. And when stories got out, his husband had actually protected two co-workers in that shooting, two women who had children, in fact. And he sent them out of the area and like closed the door and he ended up getting shot. And so when that news report came out, it it was a viral sort of report about that shooting, about this man who saved these two women's lives and and so Ryan was interviewed, and Ryan ended up going viral himself and was interviewed in all these articles. And he had news trucks down his street. And he began to actually develop agoraphobia much later. He he ended up having really horrific psychological consequences between the grief and the public um, reaction. But he was actually invited to the State of the Union as Michelle Obama's guest. And so he went with First Lady Michelle Obama and then met President Obama and had a moment alone in the room with both the President and the First Lady and had this like real moment of like, if I could say anything, what do I want to say? And he said that he got so nervous, like he didn't take that he didn't take advantage of that opportunity, and that really stuck with me. So I wanted this character to also have that same moment where she's like alone in a room with the president, and like, what do you say in this one chance that you have to to say to speak to the most important person on the planet and beg, you know? And um, which is what she does. But but it was based off of Ryan's experience where he said he just like. He just shut down and like literally was like, these hors d'oeuvres are great, you know? But he said, I think he said these canapes are great. And then he didn't know how to pronounce canapé. And then he just went into like a, like a death spiral of like, I said the word wrong. <laughs> so, But he was awesome. And we actually met at the memorial for the victims of that shooting. And like, he shared a lot about his husband and, but also what he had gone through in the aftermath. So, so I really wanted to like, and he has a cameo in the book as a bartender, but I really wanted to to honor his experience too, through it. So wasn't this very
0: traumatic, even just researching and writing. I mean, reading it made me, I mean, I love books that make me feel. This book like completely made me feel. I was like holding my heart. You know, the whole scene was so real and like the piece of, oh my gosh, so real. So yeah, just like, I feel like I read the most, like I hadn't read a, a first person account in this language, in this way. And I know it was fiction, but what was this like for you to have to, piece together and talk to so many survivors. I know you've had experience directly, but, but still, this is a tough, this is a tough sort of, you know, pond to wade through of, of horrific information.
2: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because rust new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from rust There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what was the most traumatic part of it was how many times I'd be working on it and a mass shooting would take place. And like there was a moment I remember. So it does take place in 2016. And the main character ends up at the Women's March in Los Angeles. And she speaks It you know, she ends up kind of getting this public platform again, much like the kids from Parkland. And she ends up speaking at the Women's March. And I was writing I was writing that scene with the day after the Las Vegas shooting. Like, I had planned to write that scene and I was at a hotel to write that scene. And I like wake up and I'm, and literally the news is coming through of the worst mass shooting, actually, I think, in American history. And I was like, this is so weird. Like, this is, I mean, what is this? I like what timing? By the time I was done with this book, I was so used to being in the middle of writing a scene, editing the book, working on the book with a mass shooting on the TV in the background that it wasn't even weird anymore, which I mean, that was probably the most traumatizing part of it was, I mean, I was editing when Uvaldi happened and the Buffalo shooting happened. And I was just like, it's not even like, oh, what crazy timing. It's just, this is what life is here Mm -hmm. now. And- And that was probably the most traumatic piece of it was to realize that like, that's, it's not even like a, it's not a coincidence anymore. Mm. It's just a chronic state of being. And so that was the, that was really the hardest part was to be working on it for so many years. And in the process, just watching it continue to happen. And with no real change, which is what the book is a lot about because it's not just a, I mean, one of my dear friends blurbed it, Gina Frangello, And in that blurb, she was like, make no mistake. This is a call to action. And And truly, that's why I wanted to write it, you know, much like Shannon Watts created Mom's Demand. I was like, I don't want to, I was like, I had a one-year-old. I was like, I don't have time to do that. Um, (laughs) It it feels very hard. Um, little did I know writing this book would probably feel would end up being just <laughs> as hard. But I, uh, <laughs> but I was like, I could write a book, and really it was it was that idea of like, how do we emotionally galvanize us to not go numb? Mm-hmm. You know, to demand action, to demand real change around assault weapons in this country, and sort of no matter what our political views are on gun ownership and. You know, I I personally am not against people having private gun ownership. I don't believe there's any reason to own an assault weapon. Mm-hmm. And no one, and as I say, like, no one protects their home with an AR-15. That's just not a reality. Like, Especially if you have children, you're not going to use a weapon that would spray bullets all over your house. Like, that's just not, that doesn't, no one would do that. Um, Anybody who owns a gun would say no. Like, so why do we keep that weapon around if it's just for recreation? Like, why would we have a recreational thing that's also a weapon of mass destruction? So that was really what the book was about was just like, this is a real low hanging fruit. And for some reason, you know, administration after administration, no one does anything about it. And it's it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be that hard of a thing to fix, especially when it causes such devastation.
0: Do you align yourself with any of the, the nonprofits who tackle this? I know you can't start one and that's totally fine. <laughs> but I know there are many. Are there any you you support or endorse or for people listening, if they want to make change after reading your book, like where should they go? What should they do next?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I mean, I've long been a supporter of Moms Demand and Everytown Town Safety, which are, you know, the same organization Moms Demand is a part of it now. But next week, and I'm actually doing an event in Chicago on October 24th with Brenda Mitchell, Pastor Brenda Mitchell, who's part of Everytown and Mom's Demand. She lost a son to gun violence and she's actually been ahead of their DEI initiatives. Uh, she's also, I'm a book coach and she's a private client of mine. So it was wild because we started working together and I had no idea what she did for a living and what her you know work was. And then I found out and I was like, oh my, can we do an event together like this? I sent her the book immediately. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of great, organizations that are doing good work. I also think it's about us really, especially when we have the president we currently do. And, you know, we, we, I certainly hope he gets another term is really pushing him to see where executive orders can be done around assault weapons, especially around manufacturing and importation that are things you can control through an executive order. You can't control sales and possession, but there are things that can be executive ordered to curtail the amount of assault weapons in this country, which at this point we have more than enough. Like that's not, you know, there's no reason. So I do think there's things that we as individuals can do. And then I think there, I mean, every town has been around for a long time and been doing good work. And Sandy Hook Promise is another wonderful one that, I mean, I can't, uh, like Uvalde and Sandy Hook as parents, obviously, that's, you know, uh, and and even Parkland, I always remember, and I can't remember his name now, but one of the fathers from Parkland, like, his great tragedy and his daughter passing away that morning was that she didn't kiss her, you know, goodbye in the morning, like, they, were it was just a busy morning, right? And she left for school that day. And, like, that story, I mean, I know, I mean, it's like, it's just the the fear in your heart, right? And, like, I just... I never. My kids never walk out the door without a kiss in the morning. For exactly that reason, you know, like I'm like, you will never leave this house to go to school without that like formal goodbye. Sadly, because I don't know what could happen there, and and I think that is like, you know, again as a mom, that's what inspired this was that I just don't want to live in a world where I I have to have that fear when I put my child in the car every morning to go to school, you know, and I don't. It shouldn't be. It's just most developed nations look at us like we're absolutely insane. They're like what is wrong with you people? <laughs> so. Oh my gosh.
0: Well, Kristen, talk a little bit about how you got into writing, also publishing, talk about Rise. I mean, the whole thing, everything you're doing is really cool. Tell everybody who's
1: listening about it because they need to know. Absolutely. Well, I think you and I are very reflective of each other and <laughs> um, what we are doing and have done. That's really funny. But yeah, I mean, my, my, primary background was in traditional book publishing. And I started out at Simon & Schuster. And I mean, I was like, I worked in publicity at St. Martin's Press very briefly, but moved over to editorial at Simon & Schuster. And then I worked in film development for a little bit and then moved back over to work at HarperCollins with Judith Begin, who was a very prominent publisher back in the day still is but you know she sort of was at the height of her powers during that time and then I wrote my first book and got into the world of ghostwriting and did that for many years and then as I think a lot of people do began to you know I mean I was always editing and helping people with book proposals so that was you know kind of a, kind of my bread and butter for a very long time uh but a few years ago I began it I started a book coaching company called Rise Writers, which is still in existence. And um, you know I have group workshops for memoir writers and book proposals, and I'm hoping to start a fiction one. And I have private clients and you know the, the ones that are sort of more likely to get book deals that I often help to secure agents and publishers. But what I realized was not everybody was going to get a traditional book deal. That just wasn't going to be possible. And I mean, we both know what that world looks like. It is very, very hard. And Actually, last week we were in New York and we were at an event with Gretchen Rubin who said, mm-hmm. you know, the hardest thing is getting an agent. And I just, that, I just like, that stuck with me so much because it's so true. And I think people don't realize like how hard that process is and it is. And so I I just saw, you know, as a coach, I had a lot of amazing writers who I loved and I love their stories and I love their books. And I also knew there was no way they were going to get a traditional book deal. And so I wanted to create a home for them. And so I began Rise Books. So I started my own small independent publishing house, much like you. In fact, that's why Zimmy and I have already met because I interviewed her for a piece that I'm writing about the rise of the smallish publisher. And uh, I like to say we're like, independence with big ambitions. And I think it is a very different, I think, independent publishing. Historically, though, there have been some really big ones that, you know, I mean, Hay House sounds true, Shambhala. It's not that there aren't big independents out there, and certainly in the fiction world, the same. But I know that there are also many who have struggled that became nonprofits or ended up attaching themselves to universities. And I think that we're sort of part of a generation that we do see ourselves as direct competition to traditional big publishing. And I wanted to show that a book uh, could be a platform in and of itself. And I think that does come from, you know, I started, I joke, I started out in book publishing 20,000 years ago because, <laughs> because that's how long it feels, but it was really, I mean, it was pre-social media. I mean, when I, I mean, it was 1999 when I started, like the internet was still this, like, like Google had just begun. Right. And like, so it was not an era where having any kind of, there wasn't social media, so really authors there were brand name authors that like everybody knew right they were like household names and then there was a whole swath of authors that no one had ever heard of before and they were given book deals simply for the quality of their stories and their writing and and who they were and our belief in in them to sell their book and so i kind of i wanted to take it back to 1999 you know and and create the same kind of energy around books that like the book can be the platform and it's a way for people to build out all the other pieces of marketing and the work and how we share and how we build community in the world and and i think that is i mean to me and i was saying this last night actually at at zibby's that <laughs> i think that's why books are so important you know i mean as you have seen too right it's like they build so much community so what advice do you have for aspiring authors? Just keep writing. I mean it really is. I think a lot of people think that there's that there's some fast and quick road to and it, and some people do. I mean it's not to say some people do have a fast and quick road to getting published and that's can be part of it. But I think that for a lot of other people, if that if it doesn't happen immediately, they think they failed or they're not a good writer or some, you know, some other lie we tell ourselves. And I always say, like, Writing is like I was joking the other day. I did an event with Rob Bell and I was saying, like, writing is a really dumb idea. Like for a lot of people, it's not like there usually isn't money on the table for it. It's this thing you do in your free time. There's no guarantee you're going to be successful. And there are a lot of people in your life that are probably like, that's a cute hobby, Like maybe you should do something else, right? And I think that if you believe that you have a story to share like you just, you have to keep going with it. You know, it's why I ended up publishing Live Through This on Rise Books. I didn't build Rise Books for Live Through This. I built it for other authors, but I had signed about three authors and was trying to sell Live Through This. I had an agent, I got an agent and we weren't getting that immediate yes. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to stay in the badlands of silence that happens in book publishing. We're like, you get a couple of rejections and then you just wait forever for responses. And it's a really tough place to be. It's that silence is where, you know, the writer's brain is like, shouldn't have done this anyway. And I was like, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't have to do that. I, I actually created something and I can, and I decided to go first. Cause I figured if I screwed it up, the author couldn't hate me that much. But, <laughs> but I also realized like, it, it's also the story of being a writer, you know, that like, it really is about persistence and just keep going. And if you believe in the story you have to share, like, Don't worry if it takes a lot of time. Like that can be a beautiful journey in and of itself. So I think it's just enjoy the journey of writing. Take it for, you know, take it for what it is and don't give up on it. So that's, you know, that's how you end up with one of these.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Kristen, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books. Thank you for this beautiful, thought-provoking, action-inspiring novel and for all that you're doing. So thanks.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: only from rustolium